0: We'll probably give everybody about another minute, actually. Lord, we thank you so much for today as we celebrate what is probably one of my favorite days of the year, celebrating what you did over this weekend in history past for us, for our sake, taking the blood of the world of all human history upon your shoulders, all of our sin, and through your shed blood, you made a way for us to be righteous before you. Now, Lord, we thank you for that covering of your righteousness as it enable, enables us to do what we do on this earth as we try to live and honor you with our words, our actions, and our thoughts. So I ask that you help us in that. I ask that you be with us today as we're going our separate ways after church. Just, I ask that you empower us to godly living in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have great news which is that we finally finished that that last argument that we went over. So just just so we're clear, um, there's a lot of groundwork we went into when we were looking at that argument, specifically because we were interacting with a lot of points that we're going to be touching base on when we look at the post-tribulation rapture expectation of some people. Um, Because there are a lot of people in the Reformed community who don't believe there's going to be a pre-tribulational rapture. They actually believe, and there are some that do, okay? It's kind of split across the board, but there are a lot of them that don't. So they believe there's only going to be one, which we would also technically also agree with, one second coming. And they claim that there are, we believe that there are two second comings or a two-part second coming. Jesus isn't coming to the earth for the rapture. Jesus is in the clouds. We're actually going to him. So we don't actually believe the rapture is a second coming or a part of the second coming. We believe it's separated by at least seven years, probably a little bit a little bit more, quite a bit more than that. Um, and we believe they are completely distinct because they're actually relating to two distinct peoples. And we talked a little bit about that in the midst of our argument. We looked at who Israel was, who the church was, and we showed that... Um, It's not that God isn't going to exempt the church from something Israel has to go through. Although, even though that's an objection, it wouldn't be 100% false. It's that the church, there's no reason to go through that. There's no expectation to go through that. There's no warning in the New Testament telling the church that we're actually going to be going through the tribulational period. Likewise, there are many examples, both in the Old Testament and the New, of the Jews going through it. Of the nation of Israel. So when we're looking at those arguments, we're just kind of looking at what the Bible conspicuously says and trying to derive not just a doctrine, but an expectation of the Lord's coming on that basis. So that's a lot of what we did in that argument. We looked at who Israel was, we looked at what God was going to accomplish through that nation, and we came to the conclusion they had to go through the trib. And then we looked at the very specific promises given to the church. And we saw exactly the opposite. Not only were we not going to be in the trib, we were going to be exempt from being in the time of Jacob's trouble, which makes sense if you, if you say it out loud, because it is the time of Jacob's distress. It's a time where the nation of Israel and the Gentile nations around the world are going to go through a time of great distress lasting exactly seven years, Okay. And we know that it's exact because we've looked at the specificity of the first 63 years of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. So we have no reason to believe it's going to be any more, or any less. God's very, very mathematical. So that being said, what we're going to be interacting with today is a different argument. And this, this basic argument is this idea that, and you'll hear this accusation levied against people not just within dispensationalism, but people that believe in a pre-tribulational rapture in general, that this is harmful to the church. Now, obviously, we're going to kind of go into the nuts and bolts about why they think that. Um, But for the most part, it's just, it's a combination of, in my mind, biblical illiteracy and um, false biblical distinctives and really just not reading the warnings given to the church in the New Testament. So that being said, in order to correctly understand this, um, this accusation, it's not really an argument, it's an accusation, we have to first look at how people are actually verbalizing those arguments. So we're going to be looking at those right now. So a lot of you may know who Cory Timboom Boom is. She said that there are some among us teaching that there will be no tribulation that the Christians will be able to escape all of this. These are the false teachers that Jesus was warning us to expect in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I have been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution in China. Christians were told, don't worry before the tribulation comes. You will be translated or raptured. Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, I heard of the bishop from China saying, sadly, we have failed. We should have made people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. I feel I have a divine mandate to go and tell the people of this world that it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in training for the tribulation. But more than 60% of the body of Christ across the world has already entered the tribulation. There is no way to escape it. We are next. Now, there's a lot in that statement, but there are a lot of people who love this woman, who love her writing. She has a lot of encouraging things on the Christian life, but she messes up because, as you can see, she holds no distinction between the tribulation and tribulations. She holds no distinctives. First of all, part of that's because tribulation isn't really used, if I'm remembering correctly, in the Old Testament of what we would refer to as the trib, like the Great Tribulation. For the most part, it's the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of distress, the day of the Lord. um, All of there are many usages of that, different terms to describe that time, and that's not normally one of them. So when they look at tribulation, like she's doing, she's conflating the two. And making an assumption. So the way she's looking at it. Is if they were prepared to suffer persecution. They will be better off than somebody who's expecting to be raptured. But again. I feel like it's very simple if you study the New Testament. Whether you're studying the Pauline epistles or the general epistles. To understand that we are going to go through persecution. That's obvious. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago actually. The Bible tells us we are. Jesus says that you're going to suffer because I suffered. We understand that. We understand that there are going to be people who are going to like and we talked about this like little tribulations and big tribulations. Um persecution of all kinds. We are going to suffer that because we live in a fallen world. And Christians have not been very popular in a fallen world for the last 2000 years. Uh America's a bubble. They're not popular anywhere in the world other than here. You see the liberalizing of Christians in Europe um to the point where a few people will go to church every week. You see people getting persecuted and killed in many different countries. So, again, um, we're not telling people by preaching it and teaching about a pre tribulational rapture that they're never going to face persecution. I have yet to hear somebody honestly say that. But as you say, as you can see, if you don't have a really good, solid um, biblical background, It's entirely possible to go your whole life conflating terms without correctly understanding them and then deriving your expectations about daily living in the Christian walk off of these false expectations. If you're expecting tribulation, it's not going to be shocking when it happens. It's not going to be fun, but it's not going to be shocking. If you're expecting a rapture and tribulations in this life, like persecution in this life, um, then you have a pretty darn good biblical expectation about the future. She didn't have that. And so now you have somebody who people love and revere teaching people there's not going to be a pre tribulational rapture on that basis. Um, And she's written books too that even my mom even likes Corey Timboom too. Um, And there's there's stuff to like and there's clearly stuff to not like. That being said, um, (laughs) truthunveiled.com. Really nice eye popper. The rapture doctrine is false is the name of the article. So they say the doctrine of the rapture is another on the back of the envelope doctrine. It was formed in rush and with, without in-depth study of the entire Bible. There is only one second coming of Christ, and it will occur after the great tribulation period of three and a half years. You can kind of already figure out where they're coming from in their theology just on that statement. Christ's second coming is not divided into phases. You need to be prepared to flee to the wilderness when this period comes. Something most pastors are not teaching, and it will require humility to ditch this false doctrine and embrace what the Bible teaches. Um, I don't even have the, the teacher's name on this one, but I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, you see, in one respect, he's a mid-trib. Uh, person in one respect, in the fact that he doesn't really believe that the entirety of the tribulational period is the great tribulation. He believes only the second half is. That's the first thing. The second thing is, again, um, he's talking about forming theology in a rush too, which is kind of ironic because one of the main things he says here is that we are to be going into the wilderness. Where does it tell Christians that they need to go into the wilderness to flee? In any case, that's kind of a rhetorical question, um, and which is actually funny because if you study—it's it's actually kind of interesting. If you study Josephus and his writings relating to A.D. 70, the people who believed in Jesus and the warnings Jesus gave to the Jews about A.D. 70 in particular all left Jerusalem prior to the Romans killing it. In fact, Josephus, whether it's true or not, I don't know, It's he's a historian— He said that not one Christian was killed in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. But this isn't relating to that. This is actually relating to a future time with the Jews. But in any case, he's suggesting that it's going to be requiring humility in order to ditch this false doctrine. We're going to be unpacking that a little bit later, too. So Luke Monsi in preservedword.com has a much lengthier quote that we're going to be reading. And it says, American Christians have become slothful, unprepared and apathetic. We have embraced the world and the ways thereof, and the world has come to the church. And the church has welcomed it with open arms. No one is concerned with holiness and righteous living. They have gone their own way, seeking after covetousness and otherworldly lusts. The preachers preach lies, and the so-called Christians love it, too. However, When a true man of God comes preaching against their sin and warns them of the judgment that shall shortly fall upon the land, they are ignored and ridiculed. The carnal Christians respond, that will not happen to us. We will be raptured first. The man of God then warns the faithful Christians, telling them to prepare for rough times ahead. And he receives a similar response as they tell him, we don't need to prepare for anything. We will be raptured before any trouble comes. Later, he teaches his Sunday school class about how modern technology is fulfilling end times pro- biblical prophecy. Afterward, he is confronted by his deacons who tell him these things cannot be the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. We're still here. We haven't been raptured yet. Has the teaching of the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine helped encourage the spiritual condition in America? Please note This is not a rebuttal of the pre-trib timing or a defense of other rapture timing theories. Rather, the Americanized pre-tribulational rapture theory is spiritually dangerous. In conclusion, the Lord is coming soon, but the Bible is clear that trouble is coming between now and then. The preaching and teaching of a pre-tribulational rapture without also warning of the trials and persecution between now and then has led American Christians to, to become unprepared, slothful, and apathetic. Carnal Christians refuse to repent, thinking the judgment of the Lord will have no effect on them. The Bible tells us to be seeking and preparing for his coming as he will come suddenly as a thief in the night. So um, part of this is, part of Luke Monsley's position is due to the fact that there has been, as we talked about, false rapture teaching in the past about Matthew 24. So if you're expecting all of the tribulation to happen and then Jesus to come suddenly like a thief, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, then yeah, I mean, you can come to one of these conclusions. But again, that's because you're not making the biblical distinctions between the church and Israel, and especially who Jesus is talking to. So, I mean, there's a lot here. What I'm trying to demonstrate um, for the people who may know this or may not know this in the room is that same point I was trying to make when we were looking at the initial arguments for imminence, which is that. (laughs) there are a lot of people who don't believe in the rapture. There are a lot of people who believe it's false teaching. And there are a lot of people who believe that like me teaching in a pre tribulational rapture expectation for this church would be false teaching because the way they look at it is we're all about to go through the tribulational period. And let, let's say for instance that they were right. If that were correct and I were teaching or anybody who's teaching the pre-trib rapture perspective, Um, is giving that teaching and telling a church that you're not going to go through the tribulational period. You don't have to stock extra food, although that's not a bad idea, looking at the economy. You don't have to buy guns. You don't have to do all these other things. And if I were teaching that, when I knew you were going to go through the tribulational period, when the Bible said that, then that would be false teaching. That would ill-prepare you to go through the trib. And suddenly we'd be thrown into distress. What happens when people who aren't expecting distress suddenly find themselves in distress? It makes them question what they believe. So if that were the case, they would have a totally good argument. But again, they're not going from the Bible. They're misquoting several, even Luke Monsley in this. And I I know I'm bashing on him a little bit. um, But he's misquoting certain verses given to Israel. He's misquoting the nature of this idea of coming suddenly as a thief in the night. We spent a couple weeks looking at that verse, um, both when we were looking at first Thessalonians, both when we were looking at Matthew. So when it comes down to it, just be aware, I guess we're we're kind of in a bubble in this church for, for a good reason. I mean, we, we go here, we listen to Kirk. Kirk gives us good, solid biblical teaching as he literally interprets the word, and looks at what it conspicuously says. That is not the case in a lot of churches. This is the first church I've ever actually been to that participated in that. Um, That being said, I heard a lot of this growing up. I heard people who used the fact that Christians were going through tribulations to demonstrate why they thought the pre-trib rapture was false. So I guess just to summarize our thoughts on this quote, those are things that we have to kind of be aware of as we're moving forward is that there are a lot of people who believe this. And there are a lot of people who think it's irresponsible to teach what they would call an American doctrine because that's what they refer to the rapture as, as an Americanized doctrine. Um, again, J.D. Rucker in Knock Report says why it is believed. The simple answer, he's answering the question, why do people believe in the pre-trib rapture? Um, The simple answer when asking why so many people, even educated church leavers, is that we want to believe it. It's human nature to want to avoid persecution, war, sickness, and beheadings, all of which are spoken of as parts of the tribulation. If someone of authority tells us that we will not have to go through these things as long as we believe, it's a message we can resonate. Those who hear the truth that we might be living in the end times and that as a result, Many of us will go through great sufferings due to our faith. It's just not as positive of a message. The not so simple answer is that Satan is pushing this as part of his agenda. It is Satan that rules the earth. His goal is to pull as many people away from the faith as possible, which is why he and his minions began deceiving Christians at their core starting in the early 19th century. I didn't realize he started in the 19th century. We got off scot-free before that. Um, Anyway, um, starting in the early 19th century with the doctrine of a pre-tribulational rapture, he has brought about and continues to bring about waves of deceptions to pull people away from even considering the word of the Bible. But this particular deception is to attack those who are wanting to be strong in their faith. It's designed to shake the spirits of believers to the point of non-belief. Think about it. If you make people believe that they're not going to face suffering, that they are special and will avoid all the troubles that will engulf the earth, then they are weakened as a result. They will not be ready. When the tribulation does begin and they're still on this planet going through it, they will begin to question their own faith. They will not be prepared to fight against persecution. They will be more willing to deceive in order to save or more willing to be deceived in order to save their lives. They will be more open to deceptions of the Antichrist. They will be more likely to worship the false Messiah to take his mark in order to buy and sell. They will see the foundation of the one world government, the one world economy, and the single world leader. And they will do so more willingly than those who have their eyes open. That's a pretty serious charge against the preacher trib Rapture. And what is he doing? You'll notice. Same thing Corey Tim Boom was doing. They're conflating persecution with the Tribulational Period. Um, he's not doing it to such an uneducated uh, point that she was doing it, because she was conflating basically all Tribulation as the time of Tribulation, which indicates she probably didn't believe it was going to be a seven-year period either. This guy at least seems to believe that it's going to be a future time period. But the way he's looking at it is that we're going to suddenly go into it. And again, the funny way, and it's not funny, but the weird way they decide to word this is hope for the rapture, plan for the trip, hope for Jesus, plan for the antichrist. And I think it's a lot easier to just hope and pray for what God already promised us. Because again, who's actually walking by faith the person that believes what Jesus promised the church or the person that uh I don't feel like there's enough doctrine to really hold so I guess we're just going to I hope they're right but maybe we'll just you know what plan for the worst just in case Jesus was maybe saying something else so again imagine if we took that position about our salvation imagine that i mean i'm not going off of this, but just think about what would happen. What does that do to a person? If you feel like at any moment, your salvation could be taken from you, it, it would be terrible. We've seen it. It does terrible things to a person because it changes your whole salvation into a workspace salvation. And that becomes a problem because if you think you're the one providing your own salvation and you've thought that from the moment you were saved, I, I mean, you're, I don't do anything to contribute to my salvation. I don't do any I'm not I do not become righteous the minute I'm saved. What do I have? I have Christ's righteousness imputed towards me. I still sin. I'm still a sinner, but it's his righteousness that covers me. That's God looks at me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. There's nothing I do to contribute to that at all. I got to that position by trusting by through faith alone in what he did for me on my behalf. And I trust that. And it's the biggest lift or weight lifted off my shoulders in my entire life to when I came to understand that. Likewise, I mean, there's a lot more material about our salvation showing that we are saved in Christ from the moment of spiritual birth. But there's also a lot of information about this rapture. We looked at that. We looked at the fact that in John 14, we're promised that Jesus is going to the father's house to make what we studied to be temporary dwelling places. And he promised to not only make those, but to come again and to take us to himself, to the Father's house. We're promised in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that we are exempt from the tribulational period. We're taught in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 what the rapture is going to look like. We're taught in chapter 5, again, we're exempt from that time. We're talked about in Revelation chapter 3 that we're exempt not only from the tribulational period, but from the entire time of that testing. So, I mean, we have a lot of information we can put our faith in and it's really just not walking by faith to try to decide that that, those promises aren't legitimate enough for us to put our trust in. So again, there are people and you're going to meet them, you're not going to change their mind who are going to be, yeah, sure, I hope we get raptured too and then just not believe it and plan for the worst they're going to do that whether we want them to or not, because again, it, it's a matter between them and God about whether or not they're going to trust in that promise that God made us. And so, no, I don't believe we're teaching people falsely. I don't believe we're giving people a false expectation. I don't believe what he said that this is arguably the greatest deception that Satan has pulled off so far. I believe he is the one that's deceived. And I think that's easy to prove from the new Testament. Um, and I read his entire article. This is just two snippets from that article. What he does is he assumes the church is Israel. He, can, he assumes Matthew 24 relates specifically to the church. He takes a reformed perspective between the church and Israel. And what he also does is he uses anecdotal evidence to try to prove this idea that tribulation is actually going to bring people further from God. It can. It certainly can. I mean, whenever we face trials, we have a decision at the moment of that trial to either allow it to make us better or allow us to make us bitter. And so there are a lot of people that choose to not submit to God's work through that trial and become more bitter as a result. Um, And yeah, so from an anecdotal perspective, you're going to see people do that. But that's an individual decision that doesn't relate to the promise we've been given by Jesus, by Jesus through Paul, whatever the case may be, by James, Peter, all of these people who are telling us to look for the coming of the Lord and not relating it to the tribulational period, relating it specifically to maybe you ought to be living your life correctly right now. Every single time it's mentioned, we've studied that for weeks. So that being said, we're going to look at the basic assertions that are within all of these arguments cumulatively so we can kind of get a good idea. First one, if the Christian of a pre-trib rapture makes Christians wildly prepared Uh, I meant unprepared, okay? made a typo. I'm not perfect. Wildly unprepared for the trials in life. That's the first one. Second, the spiritual condition of much of American Christianity is partially due to the doctrine because it only works in the bubble of American Christianity. Um, I'm sorry, of American freedom. Because we do have freedom to believe whatever we want to. But in any case... It encourages Christians to be apathetic and creates a counterculture to a biblical Christianity which would warn others of the coming Antichrist and his kingdom. The pre-trib rapture is just escapism. This is the fun argument. It simply appeals to the greater desire of spoiled Americans to not have to go through the same trials the rest of international Christianity goes through daily. When you don't get raptured, their faith will fail and they will question whether or not God is even real, not whether or not their doctrine was correct. So again, these, these are common arguments. If you study any antithesis to the rapture perspective, and there's a lot of material on, again, don't get your theology from the internet. It's a general good rule of thumb. Get it from the Bible. But, um, There are a lot of people in very popular websites who are pushing this stuff. And I've met a lot of people who don't believe in the rapture because they feel like these are foolproof arguments. What did they not do in each of those four points? And these are just the four, what I would consider to be the most solid arguments that they had. They didn't quote any scripture, first of all. Um, Second of all, they didn't put anything into context. They didn't show, and most importantly, they did not show a biblical... Expectation, like from the words of Scripture, that we should be looking towards the Antichrist, that we should be looking towards the tribulation in our expectations. Um, I can't find any in the New Testament. I'm happy to be proven wrong. What I can find is an expectation that we're exempt from that time of wrath. So, um, again, also, it kind of is escapism in a little bit. I mean, that's, that's an argument, but we do believe that we've escaped, not just from that wrath, but also from the wrath of eternal separation from God in hell. We don't have to go into the lake of fire. That's not our future. Um, now, do we deserve it? No, of course we don't. Um, but guilt isn't exactly a great feeling. We don't need to punish ourselves just because we're sinners. Um, where We have an eternity with Christ. That is our future. Christ is our eternal life. He is the one who's providing it. Look at the eternal state sometime, as it's talked about in Revelation 21 through 22. He is the provider of that future. It is through him we even have that. So again, he, he does everything to save us, and he also gets all the glory because he's the one who did everything to save us. Um, that one simple condition of trusting in him. So that being said, how, when we hear this by our friends, should we answer this objection? Now, there are about a hundred different ways we could do it. Uh, the most effective way, if you have a couple hours, is to just take someone through the Bible. Uh, take them through those verses we talked about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4, 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, Spend a lot of time 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 3. You, you could go into all of that and systematically take someone through what the Bible actually says about the subject, but this is just a quick, a quick way to do it. So, first of all, this is a misrepresentation of the expectation of imminent rapture. Second, this makes an assumption um that our expectation of the rapture is solely based on the hope to not face trials or persecution. So we don't hope for the rapture. We don't expect the rapture because we want to get out of trials and persecution. Look anywhere in the globe right now at Christians who are dying for their faith on a daily basis in mass numbers. And you'll know that that's, that's not our hope. We now granted, do I hope we get raptured before that comes to America in heavier numbers? Yeah, of course I do. Uh, Nobody wants to go through persecution. The people in China being murdered for their faith, put in concentration camps to rewire their brains to get them to not believe it. same thing they're doing with Muslims. Um, Obviously they're hoping that there's a way to get out of that. Nobody wants to go through that, but we're not, we don't believe the rapture is exempting us from trials in life, nor do we believe the Bible teaches that, nor have we ever taught that. Next, it also largely misses the purpose of the rapture itself. Now, generally speaking, there are a few purposes to the rapture. So the first purpose is to rescue the church. (coughs) Excuse me. This, This is quite important. To rescue the church from the time of Jacob's trouble, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. We see that in Revelation 3:10. This was in accordance with the direct promise of Jesus to take them back to the Father's house, where Jesus would have made them or made for them temporary dwelling places to last until the trip concluded with Jesus' second coming. That's one of the purposes, right? It's to rescue us from this time that is about to come upon the whole world. Second, to remove the restrainer. So the Antichrist can come to power. That's one of the other reasons that we're going to be raptured. Um, Obviously, we believe that the restrainer is talking about the Holy Spirit's work through the church. Next, to end the time of jealousy used to make Israel long for the blessings of fellowship with God. Let's actually look at that because that's kind of important too. Because it puts us back into what I would call Jewish and Gentile distinctives um, in light of this. So if you go to the book of Romans. Because I need to open our Bibles at least once before the end of this lesson. Uh, (laughs) So in any case, uh, Romans chapter 11 is where we're going to be jumping to. Starting in verse 11, going into verse 12. It says, I say then... They did not stumble as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Well, who who is he talking to? Why is he even bringing Gentiles in? Because the focus is ethnic Israel. Again, by their transgression. What transgression is he talking about here? Just to put us back into Romans chapter 11. The transgression of rejecting the king of God's own choosing, the Messiah. It says in verse 12, now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Again, it's looking towards a future fulfillment of those people back into the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, back to the blessings of being in fellowship with God. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, If you want to move a little bit farther in the chapter to verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness before from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sin, their sins. So this started with their partial hardening and it will ultimately end with the fulfillment of the new covenant with Israel. Because they are the ones who that covenant was originally made with, though they don't reap the blessings of it when they're out of fellowship with God. Now, we get some of the spiritual blessings from it as part of the church, which happened at the ratification of the new covenant at Christ's shed blood. But just keep in mind that any Israelite who also becomes a believer in Jesus Christ also gets those blessings. They also get the blessings of being a blood-bought saint. But the blessings that pertain to the kingdom will happen later. So in any case, the This is going to be at this point the forward movement that's going to result in Israel choosing to believe in the God or the King of God's own choosing. Um, And as you can see, we have a lot of verses for that. I didn't put them all on the screen because I only had so much space. But in any case, there are a lot of scriptures that pertain to the literal not just the salvation from the way we think about it, like eternal salvation from the consequences of an eternal hell, but physical salvation at the end of the tribulation. One of the things people mess up in the book of Romans is they take the word salvation and assume it's talking about your eternal salvation every time it's used. Um, I think it's Robbie Dean who suggested that almost no times in the book of Romans, it's actually talking about that. They use the word, they use a different word for that. It's called Justification. But in any case, um, that's what they have to look forward to. And so when we're raptured, it gets us out of the way, gets the Antichrist in power. They will most likely look at this person and his false sense of peace and think, oh, my gosh, this is probably our Messiah. Because if you ask any Jew right now, what are you waiting for? Why wasn't Jesus the Messiah? Why don't you believe that when we have all this Old Testament scripture? Oh, well, he's supposed to give us uh, peace. Well, they're going to get their peace, and it's not going to be the Messiah. It's going to take them three and a half years probably to realize that's the case. But again, these are only some of the reasons of why the church is going to be raptured. And the purposes that the rapture fulfills. But just so we're clear, that's all important information for us to look at as we're trying to answer an argument like this. We, just, we have to be aware of that in the back of our minds in order to interact with that. Now, that being said, there are a dozen or so misconceptions we could jump to if someone were to bring an argument like that to to our face, telling us that the rapture is ill-preparing Christians for the tribulational period. Um, And we'd be justified in interacting with them. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't necessarily be in our best interest to just take them through uh, a biblical Boot camp to try to get them to understand why the church is going to be raptured. Um, so there are a couple things they falsely claim the pre trib doctrine is responsible for a lot of problems in the church. Um, the pre trib rapture should encourage the church through tribulation because we know that's our future. We know it's our future whether we're the generation who's lucky enough to be alive and remaining at the time or whether we go to be with the Lord in the meantime to be. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what we're promised. And what's more is that to be dead in Christ is to be first resurrected at the point of the rapture. That's why it's such a big deal, Resurrection Sunday, when we think about Jesus' resurrection, because we also understand that our resurrection and the certainty of that resurrection in the rapture is so certain that we can put our faith in it. That's what we have to look forward to. That is the driving force That takes us through the trials of life. For a lot of people, it's heaven because they don't understand that future. They think the the only thing we have to look forward to is heaven. And that is certainly something to look forward to. I wouldn't argue that it's not. But and we're not going to look at them right now because we actually already did look at them several weeks ago. But if you look at those verses, we're actually told about the coming of the Lord to look towards that, to await the coming of the Lord. And that is always related to how we ought to live in the present. We spent... Months looking at these verses, looking at 1 Corinthians, looking at Philippians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, um, James, Peter. We, we looked at all of those Hebrews, Titus. <laughs> I mean, th- there's a lot in the New Testament that pertains to this idea that we can look towards the coming of the Lord and use that as a reason for how we choose to live in the present. How we choose to interact with the persecutions, the trials, the things that come upon us in life. And so we should be encouraged in our suffering, because we know that suffering is only temporary. Just to move back a little bit in the book of Romans, because um, people often misunderstand the purpose of a lot of Romans chapter eight. It says in verse 18, "For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us, for the ancient, ancient <laughs> anxious longing of the creation." waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So we know that this suffering is only temporary. And we know that the Holy Spirit filters our prayers and prays for us. We see that in verse 26, where it says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and God ultimately looking at all of this causes our sufferings to work together for good. We see that in verse 28 where it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This isn't talking about just generally, Oh yeah, everything that happens to you, everything that you do, it's working out for good. It's talking back in that context of sufferings. It's talking about the persecution. So again, we understand that persecution is going to happen. We understand the trials are going to happen. We understand that there's a purpose, that they have a purpose in our Christian walk of um, conforming our minds to the image of the Son. Same purpose that gets fulfilled when we study the Word. And we also know that the Lord is going to come again for his church, whether we are alive and remain or we're going to be dead. So we use that knowledge that, that could happen at any moment to help us to understand our eternal perspective relating to right now. Because if I'm looking at my future in the next hundred million years and that's my perspective versus five minutes, I'm going to make decisions differently than I would if I were only thinking five minutes ahead of me. So again, that's where we're going to finish today, but I just, I think it's quite important to kind of keep that into perspective when we're talking to people and they come up with these arguments against us. Um... It's it's not our time to be like, oh, you want to know what the Bible actually says? um Although that could certainly help us. You have to keep in mind that there is a massive gap in their thinking, their understanding of the Bible, their knowledge. And that's, that's not a reason for us to boast. That's a reason for us to be humble. And be, remember, that was us. That was us at some point in the past. At some point in our past, somebody taught us the correct way to think. Somebody taught us the correct way to study the Bible. And so... Again, we could get, it's not our time to go on a glory train. It's not our time to enjoy the fact that we have more knowledge. It's our time to be humbled and remember that this person needs what the Bible has to say because they are ill-prepared for the rapture. And if they're thinking that the trials are just happening, I mean, there are going to be people who live the Christian walk, but at the end of the day, it prepares you better for trials in this life. I would make this assertion if you know that the rapture could happen at any point if you know that the trials, the persecutions serve a purpose. And yeah, I mean, I've been given that objection several times in the past year, actually. Um, I haven't always handled it well. So I think it's best to just take people through the word and show them what it actually says. So that's where we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your promises. We thank you so much for the certainty we have of your promises looking forward, knowing that we're going to be taking part in your rapture. We know that's not the second coming. We know that is going to be a time when the dead and the living, everyone in Christ, every member of the body of Christ, will have one resurrection, one reunion, where we get to be with the Lord, where you take us to be in the Father's house. It's something we look forward to. It's something we're excited about. And I ask that you use our knowledge of this specific, predictable, certain future to help us understand really how we ought to live in the present, how we ought to converse with people in the present and have a heart towards our ministry in you. Because every single one of us is involved in a ministry. So Lord, I ask that you be with us and I also ask that you guide us, give us discernment and ears to hear in the service to come. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.